I'm Ivy Castellanos. Um, I am, I've been in New York for six and a half years now, but I am a Bolivian-American. I grew up in the military, and that influences a lot of my work and a lot of my style of how I live in Brooklyn and how I operate. Um, and I went to grad school here in New York. That's why I came for fine arts. So I come out of a sculptural background, and it kind of evolved into performance from there. So a lot of my work involves building and constructing and deconstructing physically objects, but then like um, also sculptural objects in my mind that I kind of shape my body with and things like that. So it's more, comes out of that more than anything in my opinion, but it's a short synopsis. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'm Esther Neff. Uh, I'm from Indiana. Um, my cultural background, uh, my mom is a Russian Jew and my dad is very mixed. Uh, nobody's really sure what his background is. Um, I grew up on an organic farm, um, so permaculture and food systems and sort of, um, I don't want to use the word holistic, but uh, um, connected or um, worldviews have always been really interesting to me. But I've moved more into the social rather than the environmental um, in my adult life. Uh, I studied theater, um, mostly from an interest in the social nature of it. Um, and teams of people coming together to make work. Um, so most of my work is collaborative and kind of uh, spans a spectrum between more like labor organizing and uh, exhibition curation, that sort of thing, um, through social arts practices. Um, I organize a lot of like conferences and workshops and that kind of thing that's more discursive practice. Um, and then my own artwork is also usually participatory, collaborative, uh, performance art, and um, I guess experimental theater, although those industries are not uh, my interest at all. Um, and you're here in my house, a Panoply Performance Laboratory, where Ivy has performed many, many times, um, and Maria has as well, uh, as well as some other Canadian artists, Charlene Vickers, and um, good people doing projects here all the time. Uh, and we keep our doors open to uh, socially engaged performance art and performative practices. Hmm. And how did you all get to the point where you are now together, what's that story of meeting as artist? Uh, well, uh, so I met Ivy uh, at Surreal Estate, which was a 50-person arts and activism collective. Um, this started out as a squat and then turned into, it attempted to be a not-for-profit, um, and now is in a very kind of trendy, uh, gentrified area of Brooklyn. So we were evicted from that space pretty quickly, yeah, I would <laughs> say. Oh, there was a pretty quick turnaround of that one. Um, and then both subsequently, um, Ivy ran uh, for soldiers, or Ivy soldiers, mm -hmm. um, for a very long time. Um, we're both members of Social Health Performance Club uh, with Maria, as well as uh, we're co-founders with uh, Lindsay Drury and Eleanor Thompson and Kristen Clifford of uh, No Wave Performance Task Force, which is a task-oriented feminist collective. Um, and now we're a feminist art group, uh, which does other projects, which perhaps uh, Ivy would like to talk about. Yeah. yeah, I think feminist art group was like an evolution out of the No Wave Performance Task Force, because a lot of the members 
um, went away. So we joined together and just kind of like stripped it down to the core of what we're interested in. So a lot of it does share a lot of the ideals of fem uh, the NOAA Performance Task Force. But um, from here, we're trying to do more about videos and documenting because a, a lot of the things is like archiving the history, live feminist history. And so, uh, we've been seeing a lot of older artists, uh, Linda Montano, for example, her whole archive was collected in one swoop <laughs> in the last year or so. And I forget, I don't know which gallery or museum did it, but it's like thinking about that, like um, how important people are at a certain age and when things are validated or not. And so, I don't know, we just, my interest specifically for Feminist Art Group is to like put the work out there right now and have it be out and available and then have other artists within the collective be able to alter the videos in their way um, that interests them to give them the space, the sharing space, and also the perspective. Hmm. And also the forms of organization that have worked well, um, that are more uh, ethically grounded in collaboration um, and not so individualistic. Because yeah. um, I think interfacing with that idea of like collection, like authorization, yeah. hierarchization of you know individual artists, we're also interested in um, like movements um, or people who band together um, to realize their like idea their socioeconomic ideologies and these kinds of things so. and how do you deal with the back end of collective performance or collective organizing I know there's so much involved in trying to organize large groups of people to get a cohesive idea done so can you talk about like maybe with a framework that you you all have employed in order to actually move forward with a project collectively yeah, I mean, I think that um, it really depends on what the institutional parameters are or whether we're doing a completely independent project. It's a lot easier, I think, to organize. I mean, we, mm -hmm. I don't know if we share all the same ideas about this. Um, but with a, yeah, yeah <laughs> yes. but like with a project, let's let use an example like ICANN, yeah. um, which was 12 artists uh, coming together to make art using and dealing with uh, um, the t like tin cans, because in New York City, they're t uh, 10 cents, right? Mm -hmm. um, and some people make a living collecting cans. Um, so we were talking about uh, artistic practice as this kind of very futile, accumulative process. Um, so we filled uh, ivy space with tin cans, um, and then all the artists used those cans, and there were lots of wide variety of different practices that came together just with that really simple like materials kind of parameter. Um, so in my mind, it's really about form. Um, mm -hmm. rather than it is about cohesion or objectification of an idea or um, even a homogeneity of a collective. I think so oftentimes it's not necessary for people to agree. And in fact, our differences make dealing with the project much more interesting um, and strong. Yeah, and like the willingness to change. So like a big part of that was I, was I had a window, a gallery, a ground floor, and I was filling the window with cans. And there was a day where a can collector came to the window and was just looking at it. And they asked me if I was going to use them for something, and that—that's where we were just like, "What did what did we do?" You know, but that's <laughs> the point. You know, we were kind of coming out of it's like, "How can an artist sustain themselves? Should we do this can collecting? Are we taking it away from people who really need it? Because we don't really need, it, but we, you know, it was like this whole. It created a huge conversation, and it evolved in a, a, kind of a different way. And it wasn't necessarily abandoning the idea, but the willingness to reflect on like, "Wow, this is something. This is something like, relate very relatable to Brooklyn and probably a lot of cities." Um, and it, yeah, it banned a lot of people together. And I think a big part of that too is just like making a small theme. Like a can is something so simple and letting the artists deal with it after that. So we're not like forcing them to do anything, but it just gives them some, somewhat of a thread or a grounding point for an idea and then letting them evolve. 
And I think trusting people, like you learn how people can do scheduling or if they're reliable or things like that. But um, over time, you get to know people who are more available for certain projects than others. And some people show up for one and they never come back. But a lot of times, it works out quite nicely. And that, that, that's the beauty of the evolution. You're not stuck to one thing. Although we stick together oftentimes. <laughs> yeah, we tend to like do things together more, more so. Yeah, well, the more you collaborate with people, I think the better you know what, what, like, what things are really important to them and what things they're more flexible on yeah. and ways that ideas can come together. Yeah. Let's talk about um, PPL, um, what, what that is, what maybe even break down what, what it stands for and what it stands for you all personally and how it has a space in New York. Like what, what are you trying to carve out? Sure. Um, well, Panoply Performance Laboratory is what uh, PPL stands for. Um, so this idea of laboratory work it's really anti-scientific. I think we use that as kind of a, a point of negative re, um, reinforcement. Um, this <laughs> idea that art, artistic practice is supposed to be valuable in some kind of legitimate way. Um, and we really uh, um, like are, are looking for how that can be the case outside of um, imperialist paradigms. So it was founded in 2006. We're 10 years old. And Panoply, I guess Panoply is kind of just me. Uh, my partner Brian is a part of it, and uh, Kaya Gilia, and I mean, really anyone who organizes with anybody else in this community um, is welcome to do it in the space. But I, I think I control it to a, <laughs> to a little bit of a degree, like Panoply is kind of um, my moniker. But uh, that being said, it bleeds very much into projects like uh, BPATH, the Brooklyn International Performance Art Foundation, um, which is not a real entity. It's just uh, like a work, it makes works of institutional critique. So kind of like fake international performance art festivals and fake grants and that sort of thing to deal with those kinds of structures. And then the very concrete work that happens here in the space is all performative laboratory work. Um, so works in progress and projects. Um, of such a wide diversity that it's very difficult to, like, I don't, because I'm kind of the author of the situation, I don't impose any kind of, uh, like, descriptive framework around what kind of work Panoply supports or what kinds of work we curate. Um, Ivy's on the selection committee for the open calls, um, as well as uh, Ayana Evans and Geraldo Mercado and a lot of other wonderful people. Um, oh, yeah, maybe... Um, Performance Forum, no way, no way Performance Task Force mm. has done a lot of stuff through Panoply or with Panoply or collaboration. All of our different collectives, I mean, they don't really exist. Like, I don't think that we're so, like, we're so uh, like, anti-capitalist in so many ways that, like, the things that you need yeah. to say, like, this is a corporate entity or, like, even this is a not-for-profit entity are not necessarily things that we're pursuing. It's all about who's involved. Um, so often it matters very little what the name is that, you know, is on the space rental or that sort of thing. It's more about the Yeah, people. like when, when we get grants or whatever, like, I'll, we'll 
post it in each other's spaces or something and like d- d- divide the, mon- the money because it helps the space. You're, bringing, you're giving it back to the community. And like one performance evening that I thought was really wonderful was between Four Soldiers, Vaudeville Park, and Panoply, right? Mm-hmm. And we literally triangulated the night that way. And Esther and Brian performed something really interesting with the string, like leading a string from the Four Soldiers to Vaudeville Park. And so as a group of people, we were in the gallery, in the, in the space, and then moved to the next space, traveling a few miles. And I just, like, that's a huge representation of how our community works, too. And, I mean, Panoply was in surreal estate for a while, right, mm-hmm. in the beginning, right? And, like, yeah, I think it's worth pointing out for people who don't uh, live in Brooklyn that performance art community is actually geographically located in a very specific mm-hmm. place. Uh, Grace Exhibition Space, Panoply, Four Soldiers, uh, Glass House. At one point, all of the performance art spaces in New York City were within walking distance. Yeah. Um, so it's, there's kind of a hyper-locality to that. I mean, your studio is still mm-hmm. right yeah, around here. Sure. And um, a, lot of, a lot of us artists live around here, and then we also have studios here. So it's just like I literally dolly my things on a hand truck a couple blocks over to, to come here to perform. You know, it's like location <laughs> much easier, right? But yeah. So collectives are logistic. Mm-hmm. In addition to being, uh, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry. Ellipses. laughs> uh, so let's talk a little bit about your your personal work. I know that Ivy, you touched on what you what you work through with your art a little bit in your introduction, but let's let's dive in a little bit deeper. Maybe starting with you, Ivy, what. What kind of ideas and concepts are you processing right now as an artist? Well, I have a few threads within my own work. So I do my pure solo work on my own, where I usually wear a mask and I use objects and I destroy them. And then there's a second phase of that where I do my solo work in collaboration with other artists, but I strictly tell them a task to help me facilitate my piece. And then a third one is like feminist performance art where I don't wear a mask and we're all in a space and we're doing, I'm participating in no wave or feminist art group or um, it's, I know it's all task oriented. And I feel like there's a fourth one, but oh, the fourth one is the newest one where I'm collaborating specifically with another artist, Amanda Hunt, and we're evolving our work um, in a completely different realm because that artist is, um, she's a dancer. And so for me, we're, we're trying to meet halfway. So that's a big challenge working with somebody who comes from a movement background and I'm coming from where I'm coming from. So yeah, I have a few different hats and that's probably very similar to how we treat collectives. Like, okay, today I'm going to be this person and, this, and the next day I'm going to be this person and, I'm, and it's, they're very different to me. They're probably all the same in a lot of ways for viewers, but, <laughs> but to be honest, like when I'm curating people from my work, it's like, it's, um, I'm being like, it's just like, li- like one piece, they literally lifted me up during the piece. Like, so I physically need their help or they taped me to a wall, you know? And those are, those are actions where the artists th- that help out don't have a lot of flexibility in what their action is because they're assisting me in my personal action. And then they go away and I finish versus being in collaboration with people. It's a constant evolution for everybody to bounce ideas off each other. So I feel like, yeah, I have a diff- few different phases of work and I feel like my solo, solo work um, that was usually very rigorous, very physical, exhausting, and I'm 
I don't know. I maybe I'm just getting older, but I think you know. There's like you get you evolve out of those things. I used to build large structures that I would shatter, or like really heavy things, like almost unnecessarily weird. But you have to get through it, or else you're not gonna be. You know, you're not gonna get to the next thing. And I really appreciate doing that work, but personally, I couldn't force redoing it. You know, it's done. Once it's done, it's done. So there's little tidbits scattered throughout my performance practice now, um, coming from that. But yeah. It's sort of a representation of how we get into the collaboration and everything. It makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And how about how about for you, Esther? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, yeah, hearing you talk in that way about it, um, I think there are things that a lot of Brooklyn-based performance artists have in common that I share also, which is um, we hardly ever perform the same piece twice. I don't mm-hmm. think that I've ever done that. Uh, it, materials tend to be reused, tools tend to be reused, um, but not uh, specific actions. Um, so it is more about completing a task or you're setting yourself up with an intention and then attempting that. Sometimes like success or failure is not the question, it's um, just about the processes. So yeah, I would say my solo work, although recently I've been, uh, I, I studied philosophy, um, which can be really annoying to the people around me. Um, <laughs> But I guess as I get older, I get less and less ashamed of that interest. Um, and a lot of my solo work has uh, begun to be a little bit more text-heavy um, and involve like symbol systems, semiotic systems. And um, recently, I've been working with concepts of of uh, a faction, which is uh, how uh, how we how we can we communicate um, between us. How can we transfer energies and emotions and sensations and experiences, um, without using, like, imperialist forms of language? Um, so a lot of my recent solo work has been asking those questions and trying to construct processes that, um, situate those kinds of, like, interrelational or, like, trans-subjective kinds of processes. So that's solo work. Um, and then I work, Pamply Performance Laboratory also makes operas of operations, um, which are large, larger scale collaborative, like uh, score based, or uh, they're also process based, but they involve a wide, uh, uh, like a lot of people, like fifteen or so usually. Uh, operas, more or less, like they involve a lot of singing, like all different kinds of singing. Uh, and then uh, I'm also a writer, um, and I make really uh, kind of terrible visual art. <laughs> audience of this type of performative work like do when you when you decide that you're going to do a project and you you decide to put it out into the world is it mainly other artists other performance artists who are the recipients 
or are you kind of trying to engage a larger social structure who might not be aware of your work? Yeah. Sorry, do you, do you want to talk about this? <laughs> uh, I, I've been thinking about that a, a lot recently. Um, on one hand, the easy answer is yes, it's other artists. <laughs> um, but I think in uh, a lot of places, a question of who is an artist is a really, really open question. So while that sounds like we're just kind of uh, making work for each other in a corner, it's not necessarily the case. Also, a lot our spaces are all free and they have alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we have a lot of yeah. like pub- people that would be considered public which, I mean, they're, they might, may or may not be artists uh, in some discipline or not, um, but who are, I would say it's, again, it's about uh, usually the locale, mm-hmm. um, like who feels comfortable in the space, um, why they're there, you know, people walk in. Um, yeah, and that's Panoply specifically, but in general there's also festivals like the Lumen Festival that Mester participated in for Pan- with Panoply at Staten Island. Um, and then uh, we performed at the Queens Museum for Social Health Performance Club. There's a church in Greenpoint that hosts performances. And I've performed in a church in Inwood. Um, the location of Inwood is in North Manhattan, right, technically. And I'm going to be part of a street fair at one point doing performance art. So it's interesting because like, we have like these spaces where we nurture these ideas. And it tends to be sort of performing for each other. But sometimes when you, if you send out to the different listserv, you'll have different, like, different people uh, from mus- musical backgrounds or movement backgrounds strictly that come and you can see their perspectives on it. But then also people who, who are from, like you're saying, pedestrian, um, just interested in general. So it's in, like I think Brooklyn allows um, variations because there's a lot of different weird little art grants or residencies that people participate in and then we just go and perform there. And so it's a very different experience. But yeah, there are very more. strange things like Shoshama which puts artists in abandoned storefronts, for example. Yeah. So sometimes things happen very much in public. Um, there's Art in Odd Places, which mm-hmm. is a massive like public art festival fair thing. And you always get a different crowd in those things. You know? Yeah. For sure. and, but even still, even if we're in like some, some galleries in the city, like Gallery Sensei, for example, you're going to experience a different crowd because they're not used to <laughs> the style of performance art, which is interesting. Like You can just tell by the way that they behave and also like the questions. And some people are really into it. Other people are nervous about it. But yeah, I think that we're able to like evolve out and come back in. And yeah. Another thing that I wanted to ask you all about, which is not really about art, but just about like our current human experience, and you both have touched on it, is language um, surrounding identity and, and place and holding space as people. And can you, can you maybe talk about what, what terms like no wave and feminist and, and these, these ideas, what they mean to you and what maybe they mean to the larger social structure of America, of the world, just kind of divulge the information that that you feel like surrounds identity and what you're processing as artists well Lindsay Drury Lindsay Drury is an artist uh, made no wave performance or the title of it and I actually don't know her specific reasoning behind it. I think it. it was because of first wave, second wave, and this is the idea of like an intersectional fe- feminism that isn't a wave or mm-hmm. doesn't co- it's not a tide that comes from the same place again yeah, so it like didn't come from a book or something. It was more like personal. And I, a lot of things, I guess we agree because we're like, what is what is once you make a, a more specific thing, then it kind of isolates you. I think we're all looking for a different shift. And I think a femi- um, feminist art group. It was a feminist group, and then we said feminist art group. We're trying to figure it out. And the reason why I wanted to shift from no wave to that, I just wanted to be bare bones and just like be 
um, and also like productions, feminist art group productions, you know, type of thing, like is a good word. It seems that it could cross over many different boundaries and it wouldn't be limiting and it wouldn't be problematic and it's just clear and specific and um, that's, I think, more interesting to me than having something a little bit more complicated because words are, like you're saying, they're very powerful and I know many people don't identify as feminist or many people have issues with the word feminist. It's an ugly word, but I have confidence in it still. <laughs> yeah, isn't there? There's. We've been talking a, a lot about this kind of conflict between, like, identifying your own rhetoric, like saying this is what, and this obviously with a collective, this kind of pluralism becomes really difficult. Um, like saying this is what we believe, this is what we are called, this is who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, really, I think, becomes a detriment. But on the other hand, you don't want it to be completely... It's impossible for it to be inclusive in this kind of, like, neoliberal, like, we're all just going to get along kind of way. Um, (laughs) So we have to decide which points we're going to be very clear on and which points we're going to allow to be completely interpreted Mm -hmm. by whoever it is that's participating in them. And I think right now those things are breathing. Um, that they're contracting and they're expanding and in every kind of moment and situation where different groups of people are in different situations and at different sites. And I hope that that continues. Um, It does certainly cause conflict, but I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing either, Um, that we get used to arguing with each other about these kinds of, about words and about identities. Because pure agreement is a problem. Yes, yeah. And we wrote a synopsis about what the feminist art group is that I've submitted to Emergency Index, who's run by... Elena Guzman? Yeah. yeah. Elena Guzman. And that's a... I don't know if you know about the Emergency Index, right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe a little bit yeah. about it. Um, yeah, please. It's just a project that uh, collects performative projects uh, across any sphere um, and just has artists submit uh, a paragraph about why they did the piece. It's about the intentions behind it, um, as well as an image. So... Um, I think we're in the sixth or seventh year of it, but it's this massive document um, of all of these different perspectives and self-identifications and um, theories and just all in the artist's own words. Um, so I think that really becomes a model for the way that uh, like new theories or uh, like syntheses that actually fit the people who are involved in them can emerge is that they become uh, just these like locations. So emergency index becomes this like it's a temporal location, like you know, 2016, mm-hmm. and but it ha- doesn't have any other parameters other than this kind of like tagging structure where they index the words that people use, and then in the back is you know like the word subalterns, like then it tells you mm-hmm. what pages that word is yeah. on. Um, so it's a way of connecting artists all over the world based on like how they're talking about their work. There's no fee to submit, like anyone can be published in it, you know, and you can only be published once. And so, yeah, that's like, that's a very similar model as how we, we curate stuff and how it's just, I feel like there's a lot of things shifting out of that and it might cost a little more time wise for people or like, yeah, when you put the money thing into it, but it, that's a very inclusive thing, I think. Um, but yes, yeah, so for the feminist art, I'll just say it real quickly. We just, I mean, I wrote this so we can like talk about whether we like it or not. But um, I just said that the feminist art group style of performance is task-based. We create a task and execute it, which often involves in constructing or deconstructing objects. And um, at the end, I just say our work centers around building as performative action with feminist bodies. So just very, like, I think it's just clear, concise, sort of simple, but... I think it's something that everyone can take from, but we. I want to also generate discipline. <laughs> I mean, that's my history because I grew up in the military, but in a good way, like helping artists feel disciplined and feel like it's 
productive and then without any other pressures beyond that. It's like this is it and this is what we're doing and it's important because you can't help but make work coming from who you are as a person every time you make work. And we all come from different backgrounds and different experiences. We're predominantly in English speaking in this in New York in the Brooklyn art scene, but a lot of people speak different languages and things, but in general I think we're trying really hard to make it like as inclusive as possible. Can you tell me the name of that publication again that that you all were talking of? Emergency Index. Sounds like a really a really great format for um connecting and it it's interesting because you all talked about that model of kind of like documenting the present presently and mm-hmm. I just think that's such an important idea. I mean, let's tell our own stories. And if they shift and evolve, tell more. response project you all were respondents for artist Maria Hutfield and can you break down how how you all came to know each other and or begin to work together as artists sure uh Maria Hupfield uh I met Maria I think you met her also in 2011 yeah Mm -hmm. um we were doing a conference called uh operations and participations which was, I think it was three or four weekends of performance art conferencing, um, and it was one of these uh, constructive institutional critique projects where it wasn't really a conference, but rather forms of conferencing were encouraged. Um, and Maria did a performance at Grace Exhibition Space, and then after that she participated in uh, quite a few uh, No Wave Performance Task Force. We did this thing called We Are Scores, um, where uh, artists were, pair- uh, were paired with each other and then traded scores. And I think Maria's work has been extremely influential in Brooklyn. Like she's her participatory forms, especially like the way that um, I mean, you can kind of imagine how her practices are aligned with what we've been talking about. Yeah. A lot of her pieces are, um, you know, she just hands people things and they uh, interpret what's going on and adjust the situation in the way that they see fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's a member of Social Health Performance yep. Club. Also, um, we've done performances at various locations with her both collaborative uh and like just a set of solo performances on the same night or that sort of thing do you have any reflections on your relationship with maria ivy um yeah it's like a similar thing in line with that and i've collaborated with her or i've was pulled into her piece uh for the social health performance club the first time at jack space in brooklyn um, last year, and then a few weeks ago, we participated in another social health performance club for um, the dance festival. Oh <laughs> yeah, the dance thing. <laughs> the ju- <laughs> ju- yeah, I know. I was in a dance. We were in a dance festival, which was crazy. We were like, "What are we doing here?" Movement research. Uh, excuse me, the spring festival. Apologize, um, but yeah, we were curating a social health performance club, and we were given twenty minutes. So a lot of us. We basically did a model similar to a thing called simultaneous, which is having a bunch of artists performing at once and doing their own thing. But this one merged in more like 
spinning off of Maria's piece, what she did the last time, where she kind of generated an idea and we kind of spun off of it too. So it was like, yeah, it's like sharing space, literal space and time, 20 minutes, and usually artists perform solo. So yeah, I definitely, I vibe really well. I, I love to watch her. I love to be curated into her pieces. One piece that she did at Jack, she made objects for us specifically. And that was generous in my in my mind. Like a, she made a thing that covered me so I couldn't see anything. So I don't know what that says. But <laughs> it was wearable, you know. And it's just like so interesting, like digesting that as an idea and the g- giving it, you know, giving away your space to somebody. And then, yeah. So Yeah, she's a wonderful person to collaborate with, Yeah, you know, like just a, a, a boon to any collective endeavor. You always are like, well, we should include Maria because, yeah. you know, she's, a, yeah, she's very uh, good to collaborate with and mm. to as a group with. So, And so what has your role been in her work with Call Response and how has the collaboration begun? Have you already done um, a specific performance regarding the Call Response or do you have ideas of what you're going to do yet? No! Yeah, <laughs> ideas. But we're still kind of in a, we were in a moment where we were like, um, we found out in this Call Response that we're the only non-native artist curated. So we're still very <laughs> timid about it. We're like, we don't know, is that like, we have to talk. We have to have a sit down with her and have a conversation and see what she, her interest is. I think maybe like her curating us into something is something like into a performance would be interesting, or I don't know how we can help. Or we might just like produce one of her works, you yeah. know, uh, or like yeah, be supporters, her here yeah, or you know, do something like that. Um, but no, we had one meeting in a hallway. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was really fun. It was great. And, it was outside yeah. of a, another feminist space, Soho 20, which is in Brooklyn, um, after a performance. Yeah, we just like sat in the hallway and had a conversation. We're like, sure. And then a couple emails. But yeah, I mean, I think that's, it's like a self in what we want. We're very clear. We don't ever want to overstep boundaries for anything. So it's like wanting to know what's the best way to operate in this space and how she wants us to be as people from Brooklyn and um, our other cultures and things, but what, what we can provide for the piece. So it'd be interesting to see what, how it evolves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think maybe, uh, yeah, I don't know how Maria's going to do it, whether she's going to be like, this is the thing that I'm doing that we wa- I want you to respond to, or whether it will be more collaborative. I'm not even mm-hmm. sure about that yet. Um, how exciting to, to just be flying blind in that way. I mean, it just seems like such a fantastic opportunity. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot of trust. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, tr- I trust Maria so much. I do. So I like, whatever you tell us to do, we'll do. Yeah. <laughs> and have you have you heard anything from her about what the project is regarding, other than the fact that it's um, Indigenous women from Canada um, as the primary artists? Have you have you followed the project at all, or are you kind of just keeping it all? really organic no uh, I've been, uh, she sent us a very nice email um with some of the ideas that she's been she's been working on um and it, it seems like what uh her part of this is is very much aligned with her practices with mm-hmm. which we're very familiar mm-hmm. um and in terms of the rest of the project um it's been going on for a while there's all the the facebook and the <laughs> you know <laughs> social media and whatnot so that's really good i don't know this is such a great time for being able to see what people are doing in other places so yeah definitely it's, and to kind of end the the portion of the call response, I've been asking everybody what their um, 
what their interpretation of the term reconciliation is and do you all feel comfortable having an interpretation of that hmm. <laughs> the first thing that I think of is like the best way to um, address something like that is to find out in your personal world how you can relate and empathize with something and I think me I would say you know recently the Pope forgave he is asking homosexuals for forgiveness <laughs> And it's a, and I, I saw that and and actually some of my family members forwarded it to me and I I feel like that whatever that feeling is could be similar because it's nothing you can do right but the efforts there and they're publicly doing it right you know there's all these things so I can only imagine the whirlwind of like confusion that happens with people and is it you know I, yeah I can't <laughs> it's a, I I know a sliver of what what that is an as an idea but. Um, because it's so far away from me in a lot of ways. I, ha I haven't had things physically taken away from me, or maybe I'm not really sure the amount, but I have a general idea of it, and I can only just like be perplexed and trust people's responses because everyone has a unique experience. You know, They can trace things back to their family members and, and different experiences, so it's like I'm, I, am, I have solidarity with, <laughs> with what their views are, I guess, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Do you feel like you could add anything, Esther, to your feeling on interpreting reconciliation, the term? The ter the word itself? Maybe, yeah. If you if you have any ideas on the word itself, like any re reaction to that, aside from it being an interpretation for like this um, specific native demographic that is having it imposed upon them, like that would be super interesting. I think to share. Yeah, I mean, I think that the idea that you can repair something that has happened in the past um, has been extremely dominant in the last decade. Um, I mean, Australia, uh, South Africa, Germany, the United States, Canada, deter determining uh, the ways in which they would like to apologize or uh, trying to create some kind of uh, event or finality or culmination or uh, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I'm sorry. I guess I do have pretty strong political beliefs about this. I think it's a form of placation. Um, and I think it's a, I think it's a little bit, it's a way of saying that our structures like capitalism, for example, are natural and therefore um, th like this will solve this other problem even though uh, the f we're not going to change the forms of anything at all. Yeah. But I, I can't think of any other thing that reparation specifically means other than, like, we have decided that we're going to repair this and that you had better agree to it um, or not be angry anymore or, you know, <laughs> yeah. things. And there's no guarantee that it won't repeat. Like, that's, yeah. that's the other thing. It's like, yeah. or that it hasn't repeated and we just don't know about it until they come back and apologize again. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so familiar to a lot of people. Yeah. That, in, that, in that way. So what do you think, like, on a broader sense, not necessarily um, regarding Canada, but on a broader sense of, like, the human experience for people who are going through governments, et cetera, trying to impose terms like reconciliation and reparations on them, can you propose something that might be a little bit more, um, like, human? Like, is there something that 
that you can think of as artists that might be a a better way like I know you don't have all the answers but like I know (laughs) Esther's eyes are like what my first thing would be put the people who have been affected in charge of that decision that's the only like real people who've been affected and give them actual power or step back and let them have the actual voice and generate the ideas because the panels of the healthcare that are dictating women's rights in the United States are all men like cis males <laughs> and that's why birth control and tampons and pads and things aren't available to women but penis pumps are you know and that's a real thing that's ha- ha- like so- a small version of that like it doesn't make any sense and so I feel like you li- like you will never know I can empathize all day but who the fuck am I to be in charge give the power to the people that's that's what it is you took power you can't just give fake power you can't do I feel like it just needs to literally st- and I know that's I know it's not going to happen, <laughs> but I just think that that's, it's mind blowing to me that to me, that seems quite clear. It's like, give them the power, sorry, and support, not just abandoning them, give them power and the support. I think that will help. And not just the forms of power, which are already, uh, uh, you know, authorized as <laughs> yeah. power, but also, you know, not for it to switch, not, or, switch a, around no, and you're yeah, like, destabilize power pa- paradigms themselves. And yeah. perspective can you describe um, performance arts role in our society today aha (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, well I think it's uh, it's antithetical to role playing which is very important a lot of okay let me hmm. if if we decide that uh, the systems of society that we've been talking about, like power paradigms. Um, we're talking about constructions that we perceive to be already there or that they're constantly being built on a daily basis by almost everything that we do. Um, if we perceive those as performative, then we can break down what, what ways um, in which they perform and directly perform in ways that are alternate to those ways. So... Um, identifying role-playing as a kind of very hard hierarchization, for example. Um, I mean, I think, again, like, South Africa is a good example of, like, holism and, like, a main idea behind apartheid was that people stayed in their roles or they stayed in their places. You were born in a certain class or in a certain body and that you were meant to stay there. And in similar ways, uh, art forms like theater and dance and visual arts tend to um, d- directly commodify or value the, the role of an artwork um, within capitalist schematics or, you know, like personal hierarchization. Performance, on the other hand, moves through and across and between and to the side of and underneath 
um, those kinds of systemic structures. Um, it allows bodies to directly perform acts which may be seen as transgressive or, or reformative in, in a direct way. Um, certainly social and collaborative performance is practicing, um, and forms of organization as well, can practice the uh, restructures or lack thereof um, that we would prefer. Um, so it can be positive um, and positively reform and practice and uh, exemplify relationships and it can negate dominant conceptualizations of what a human being is or what it does in kind of the in an ontological sense, reforming um, like the nature of human nature. Um, and we're dealing, we, we're really like up to our elbows in that really like gunky stuff of what we think human nature is. Um, and we get to play directly with that. So I think that's very powerful in, in its own ways. Hmm. And uh, what are your thoughts on performance art and its role in society, Ivy? <laughs> it's very hard to follow that. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. You're right, yeah. And it's just when you see a live body in space doing these actions, it creates a, a language that's universal. And everyone's going to have their own perspective. And some people will miss it, whatever it is, or they'll get it, or it'll take a while to digest. But... In these times especially, and I'm, we always, I guess we always say that in these times when it was like the Vietnam War, in these times, it was, but gen, like, I think because we have mass media and we're able to see everything all the time um, through a screen, seeing something live is quite rare and to have the time to see it and then like have the time to go see this weird performance art thing and then like, I don't know, good luck tagging it on Facebook or like you don't know the per. It's just like it, it creates a different type of um, social how we, how we are socially with each other in a lot of ways. I mean, we have a core community of people who like consistently go to the same things and people who dip in and dip out, but it has affected a lot of us and we have seen the evolution of each other and we've seen each other go through the ups and the downs. And when you know people a little bit more personally and you see them perform, it's just, it's really interesting. But even if you don't know them, you can still grab, grab some of that because it's so, it's unavoidable. You can feel the energy, you can just see the body move in a lot of different ways. And I think it does differ from dance and from theater because not that people don't rehearse, some artists do, but it's just, um, it can't, you can't lie. <laughs> it's like hard to lie. And you think you are. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, oh, it looks the same. I don't think it looks the same. I was wearing a hat, you know? Mm -hmm. And then you're like, oh shit, it's the same. Like, it's, it's just who you are. And that gives us individuality, which is really powerful. Even though we have a lot of labels and other things that we can re we can relate to, you'll be in the same lineup of this people with the same exact labels as you, and you're all so damn different. It's really, I think it's refreshing sometimes. And so when people look back at this moment in the history of art and performance art, what do you hope your impact will have been? I hope nobody knows I existed. <laughs> 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 Your lab will be like a museum. <laughs> no, I mean, I hope kidding. that the processes themselves like influence people. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I mean, I hope like at least the art market is shifted by other forms of organization and that sort of thing. But like personally, I don't have any aspirations to being a name on a page anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, I think I agree. I think like um, the sustaining these concepts are really important because this neighbor, this New York in general is... Um, very wealthy and people are being bought out neighborhoods are shifting more aggressively than it has been and it's hard to sustain yourself like I had my space for 16 months but it I didn't ask for money and I had a job and so it, 
a lot of people would say I didn't do it in a capitalist way that was accurate, but I would never, I don't, would never regret that in a lot of ways. I would love to keep a space, but to me, it just doesn't, didn't work out so well or whatever. I mean, maybe I'll approach it next time when I'm a little older, but I just didn't want to exchange that for something else because then you were forced to shift it, like give yourself a space. Yeah, it'll affect people and people come and go, like I said, and they go into different realms and different fields and some of them continue on to different things and the idea is that hopefully they can see different models and not that this model is so unique, but it, making it consistent, I think, is important because it's like, hey, we're still here. We're still here. We still have a voice. We're still fine. Like, I'm fine. I'm a hungry. No, I'm just kidding. last segment is your soapbox moment if you could say one thing to the world using this as your platform what would it be I don't I guess I, I hmm, hmm. size don't worry about size um, sometimes we feel like there's nothing that we can do because things seem so large um, and so much bigger than we are, and our actions seem to have no effect. Um, least of all those actions which are designed really specifically to be art and seem to happen in these more uh, closed-off kinds of art spaces and within arts communities. Um, but, yeah, I guess I would like to say that the, because the forms are testing themselves, um, they have many different kinds of resonance. Um, don't give up. Um, what you do is important, um, and people, other people are paying attention to you, even when you don't think they are. Um, no matter how spread out we are or how um, ineffective we may sometimes feel or how the, our bodies feel depressed or angry or alone, um, that even just... Sorry, this is so incredibly cheesy. I didn't even know that I believed this. Just like even small interactions... Um, are changes. Yeah, and I would say maybe rules, all rules are created by people. And so take them with a grain of salt and remember that a lot of decisions in our world, aside from nature, have been created by people. Human beings, other people who have flaws or have, who are wonderful in different ways or whichever, and to not have the pressures of thinking that you're so different just because they have um, the powers that we've created in, in our societies or they're on TV or there's like more privilege or things like that. Like you are just as valuable as anyone else. We're all extremely valuable people on this planet and we have one life to live and live it as best that you can. And your moral, moral code or your moral barometer <laughs> is real. Follow that as much as you can. And yeah, I think 
um, everyday interactions are extremely important. The small things do matter, but not for punishment purposes. It's for yourself and your character. Speak up, talk more, talk louder, and don't forget to dance, my sweet. Speak up, talk more, talk louder And don't forget to sometimes sing I need more people around me We need more people around us I need more people in my history To change the system where we are living Before it leaves us again, before we lose it again. the next 
next time they can satisfy their stomachs? Where will be the next time they can feel their anger? Speak up, talk more and louder. Speak up, talk more, talk louder. Speak up, talk more and louder. Speak up, talk more, talk louder.